Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and welcome to our program. We are doing a series of programs in preparation for the spring feast, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. And I wanted to come to you in the Sabbaths that are leading up to Passover of this year. We're approaching the springtime. And to encourage you and to share with you more information about what is the Passover, what does it mean to us, what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what is the Feast of First Fruits? These are the holidays coming up in the month of Nisan, sometimes called the month of Aviv in the scriptures. And I'll, I'll tell you what my motivation is. It's my desire to excite you and get you interested in and that you will go and observe these feasts as a part of your faith. And so I want to share with you things about it to catch your interest, your attention, and to teach you about it so that you can observe it and enjoy it. Now, in our last program, we began to talk about Passover, and we talked about the ancient Passover, the historical Passover that took place back in Egypt. It was a part of the tenth judgment that fell upon Pharaoh, the death of the firstborn, and that the children of Israel took a lamb and slayed it, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel. When the angel of the Lord came through for the judgment, when he saw the blood on the door, he passed over that house, and they were passed from death to life. One of the things that we always emphasize, this was not the salvation of all of Israel. Uh, this was the salvation and the redemption of the firstborn. And later on in the Scripture, you'll find out that God has some very specific interests in the firstborn of animals and of all people. One of the things that he specifically says, the firstborn belong to him. Literally, he says, they belong to me. They don't belong to others. And there has to be a redemption of the firstborn, and, and I'll explain later on all about that. But at the Passover, the historical Passover, the emphasis was on the redemption of the firstborn, the, you know, them being passed from death to life. It was the crossing of the Red Sea that we saw the actual salvation of Israel from Egypt. And there is a distinct difference between redemption and salvation, as we learn in the Torah and in the Scriptures, those two tend to be slurred together by a lot of believers. They think it's talking about the same thing. God is very specific about some of these things, and part of how we learn about that is in keeping these feasts. And that is kind of one of the distinctions between Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is going to talk about salvation, whereas Passover is going to talk about redemption. So that's part of what our program is about. Now, if you recall, the commandment that I shared with you that God actually gave at the time the Passover is taking place, he said, this is going to be a memorial into the future for all generations, and it will be a memorial forever, that they were instructed to have the lamb actually brought into the house on the 10th of Nisan. That's four days before the Passover the Passover being on the eve of the 14th, at the very beginning. It's actually at sundown on the 13th, but it, it leads into the first element of the evening of the 14th, and that it was to be killed and then eaten at that time. But there was the lamb was to be brought in the house on the 10th before that. 
And we also shared with you last week about how if you look at the Messiah when he entered into the city of Jerusalem on the colt, it was the 10th of Nisan. The lamb was going into the house. And what was supposed to happen with that lamb, it was supposed to be examined thoroughly in those days preceding. Make sure there's no spot, no blemish, no disease, nothing wrong. And what do we have given to us in the Gospels after Yeshua enters into Jerusalem on the colt? We have a whole series of discussions where Yeshua is being examined by the Pharisees. He's being examined by the Sadducees. He's being examined by the scribes. He's even being examined by Gentiles. Everybody is examining him. And in the course of those discussions that are really laid on to us by the Gospels, We have the evidence that the lamb was brought into the house. It was examined. There was no spot or blemish with regard to that. The Christian doctrine that the Messiah was sinless is really predicated on the principle of examining the Passover lamb. And when he passes as an acceptable Passover lamb, that's where we get the whole concept that he was sinless. That's what is born out of the Passover for it. Now, I shared with you about the upper room and about how the disciples in preparing for the Passover not only took the lamb to the temple to be killed and the blood was poured out, they came back, they roasted, but the room where Yeshua ate the Passover with the disciples, it was the room that was over the top of King David's tomb. And, of course, you know the messianic prophecy of King David that it would be a son of David that would be Messiah King. And so here is Yeshua, the son of David. His lineage traces back to that. Here he is sitting over the top of the tomb of King David, symbolizing the kingdom of David, and here's the son of David, as the prophecy said. A lot of people, when they read the scripture, the gospel, where they talk about the upper room, they they don't get the concept. They don't understand how significant that was to be eating in that room at that particular meal. Now, also, I um, shared with you a little bit about the controversy that was existed in that day, and it still exists to this day. And the controversy is, when exactly should we be eating the Passover? The scripture is very clear. On this point. In fact, I want to read it to you. It comes to us in Leviticus chapter 23, and this is the chapter that's telling us about the appointed times of Israel. The appointed times are all of the feasts and holidays and so forth. And it starts with Sabbath and explains how Sabbath is like a building block for the other feasts, the high days, the high Sabbaths in feasts. And so reading from Leviticus 23, beginning at verse 2, it says, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, my appointed times are these. Verse 3, For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all of your dwellings. Now, that's one verse about Sabbath. There's plenty of other places in the Scripture that explain the Sabbath and go into more detail. But this is a review of what God says are my appointed times. In other words, I have an appointment with me with you. By the way, 
If you have an appointment with a doctor or a friend or a business associate and you don't make it to the appointment, guess what happens? Things don't go well for you. You irritate people. You upset people. If, you, if somebody's supposed to have an appointment with you and they don't make it to the appointment, they ignore the appointment, this is not something you enjoy. This is not something you think well of. God is telling us, I have certain appointments with you. I would think that that would make us take note, seriously. If God has set up an appointment for us to meet with him, maybe we should do it. You're going to hear me, and I'm not doing this to judge anyone. I'm only asking the question. You know, if, if God has clearly instructed us to do something, why would we ignore that? And for all of those that would have some kind of theological, nonsensical argument, you ought to really take a step back and ask yourself, who is it you actually think you believe in? Do you believe in yourself and you get to decide? Or do you believe in God and you listen to what God says? For us who are messianic, turning back to the teaching of Moses, turning back to the commandments of the Lord, that's, that's one of the fundamental things. Are we going to do what God said for us to do? Are we going to continue on doing what we've been doing and goofing off on this thing and not paying attention? Oh, if I don't learn about it, I'm not, I'm not accountable for it. Nonsense. We need to make some basic decisions here. God's made an appointment with us. Let me continue on. Verse 4, these are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. Part of the reason I'm doing this program, sharing with you the spring feast, one of the things is that a Torah teacher is supposed to proclaim to you these feasts are coming up, get ready to do them. So part of this program is to raise your interest level, encourage you, and maybe even exhort you to maybe I'm going to do this this year. Maybe, maybe I will keep the Passover like the Lord commanded. Maybe I will eat unleavened bread during the Feast of Lent. And maybe I'll find out about that Feast of First Fruits and what it has to do with me as being in the faith. And I'm saying that to my fellow believers that believe in Yeshua the Messiah. By the way, Yeshua and his disciples did these where do we get the idea that we are followers of Yeshua and yet we don't do what he did? And these are specific things he did. In fact, this is the dominant subject in the Gospels. There's more chapters in the Gospels dedicated to the Messiah keeping this feast than any other event. And I'm including his, his death, burial, and resurrection. And the reason why that is is because the, the, the Passover is a prophetic picture of the redemption of the Messiah that results in our salvation. So, these are the appointed times, he says. Verse 5, in the first month, and the first month is the one that comes in springtime, it's Nisan. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the same month, 
There is a feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any labor's work. But for seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. And on the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any labor's work. Verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I am going to give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. These are barley sheaves. Barley comes first in the springtime in Israel. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So let me just quickly summarize. Passover is specifically said to be on the 14th day of the first month. It then says the Feast of Unleavened Bread shall begin on the 15th, the day after the Passover, extend for seven days, and that there will be a high Sabbath on the 15th and on the 21st, seven days later. Then it says, concerning first fruits, there's going to be a weekly Sabbath that will follow the Passover. It will occur at the same time somewhere during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's going to be a weekly Sabbath. It says on the first day after that Sabbath, that weekly Sabbath, you will then have the ceremony of the Feast of First Fruits, where you wave the barley sheaves before the Lord. I'll explain more of that in greater detail later as we go through the program. But the dates are set. These are appointments from God, okay? God's made these appointments. Well, guess what? Guess who keeps the appointments? Do my Jewish brethren keep this? The answer is no. No, they don't. They don't eat the Passover on the 14th. They eat it on the 15th. They eat it on the high Sabbath of unleavened bread. And then, because there's the combination between the two is really eight days, not just seven days. There's Passover and then seven days. They extend another day at the back end of the Feast of Unleavened, and so they think the high Sabbath is on the 15th, and on the 22nd. And with regard to the Feast of First Fruits, they don't claim it's the weekly Sabbath. They say it's the high Sabbath that came of unleavened bread, and it's always on the, you ready? On the 16th. 15th is their Passover. 15th is, big, is the high Sabbath of unleavened bread. 16th is when you start counting the Feast of First Fruits. You start counting the Omer from there. The reason why there's no date in the scripture given for the feast of first fruits is because it's a variable. Passover is a fixed date. Feast of unleavened bread, fixed dates. Why isn't the feast of first fruits a fixed date? No, because it's supposed to start on the day after the weekly Sabbath. Why would it do that? Because the commandment then goes further. It says, now you're supposed to count seven Sabbaths. You're to count up to the 50th day. You count seven Sabbaths in a row, and on the 50th day, on the day after that weekly Sabbath, you have Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. If you start on the 16th and you ignore the weekly Sabbath, it's just 50 days later. That's what the Jews do. 
The Jews don't keep the date that Moses specified for Passover. They extend the Feast of Unleavened Bread by one day, and they don't count the Omer correctly, and their Feast of Weeks is never correct, unless it's pure coincidence. That's what the Jews today do. Part of the controversy that we have about when we read about what Yeshua did, let me go ahead and just clarify some of it for you very quickly. Yeshua kept the Passover as Moses had said. He ate it on the eve of the 14th. And he was slain on the Passover day. He had that evening and then the next day is Passover day. And then you remember the scripture says they had to bury him quickly on that day because that day was a day of preparation for the high Sabbath, the high Sabbath of the 15th. Yeshua ate the Passover and was arrested and was killed on the Passover. In fact, at the very moment that he died, it's recorded for us that he died at about the ninth hour. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know what was going on in the temple at that moment? They were doing the ceremonial Passover sacrifice in the temple. They were actually putting a lamb up on the altars, the ceremonial sacrifice, not the memorial sacrifice, not the memorial that Moses had planned. Now, that controversy is an ancient controversy actually between Pharisees and Sadducees. That's what separates the difference between them. There was a couple of differences, but Passover, when to eat the Passover was a major difference. And that's the reason why Yeshua cautions us and says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Mentioning leaven is obviously talking about the holidays when you eat unleavened bread because the beware of the leaven is we are restricted from eating and having the leaven during the Feast of Unleavened Bread and when we eat unleavened bread at Passover. We're not to have any leaven. And he's saying that what the Pharisees have done with this, they have put leaven into it. We are to be aware of it. Judaism today follows the Pharisaic model, not the Sadducean model for keeping the Passover. And many of my Messianic brethren, while proclaiming to believe in Yeshua, claiming to be Torah observant, claiming, they still are doing what the Pharisees said. They're still following the Judaism model. I had a conversation back many years ago with some of my Messianic brethren. I said, what, you can see the difference. Why, why are you doing that as opposed to what Yeshua did? I mean, these are believers of Yeshua. And they said, well, we want to be a part of the greater Israel. Brethren, let me explain something to you. Only the remnant of Israel is making into the kingdom. The greater Israel is judged. There's a whole lot of my Jewish brethren, a whole lot of Israel, that is not going to make it to the kingdom. Paul expressly states this in Romans chapter 9. Not all those of Israel are going to be in the kingdom. Only a remnant will be. The remnant are the ones that follow what Moses taught and what Yeshua taught. The others do what the Pharisees said. And to this day, 
This is a controversy even amongst our own Messianic brethren. If there's one thing that I could hope for out of this teaching and sharing with you about the spring feast, if there was one thing that I could tack into your brain and you would walk away with, it would be the following. Passover is on the 14th, not the 15th. And here's the words from Leviticus 23 that says, the Lord's Passover is on the 14th, Feast of Unleavened Bread is on the 15th. So when we look at our calendars, when you see the 14th of Nisan, at the evening, at the beginning of that day, that's when it's time to eat the Passover. That's the time to observe the Passover. Do it with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs, and so forth, as God instructed. Let's not wait to the next day when the Pharisees do it and when Judaism does it and people who don't want to learn the commandments of the Lord do it. They just want to follow whatever the Jews are doing, whatever Israel is doing. This is a well-known controversy, and it's a historical one that was in the days of Yeshua, that Yeshua weighed in on it and gave his opinion. His opinion was, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So that is kind of a quick review of where we're at. And I want to go through and explain a little bit more about how we observe this today. If you were first beginning to learn about this, the first thing I would say is get the right date first. Don't just follow what, what you see other people doing. Get, get the date according to what the Lord says. Now, I want to set aside our whole discussion about Passover for a moment, and I want to talk about our Christian brethren and what they do with this. Because a lot of people that are coming out of the church and coming into the Messianic movement, this is one of the most radical elements that they see. As I mentioned to you before, we see a lot of Christians today. They see a Passover. They get to participate in a Passover. They got invited to the table. And what happens to them is they see the Passover, they see the Seder and what's going on, and they go, oh, my goodness, this is just like when Yeshua, back in the New Testament, was having Passover with his disciples, and I have learned so much more about the Messiah, and I see how he fulfilled these prophecies and proved he was the Messiah. It's very edifying, very encouraging to their faith because the focus of the faith is on the Messiah our relationship with the Messiah. But then they see it in the Passover, and they go, why aren't we doing this in the faith? We believe, why, why aren't we doing what Yeshua did? And they go back to the church, and the church says, no, 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 that's too Jewish. We, we can't do that. And so they put together a substitute, okay? They put together this little... Um, this communion cup and this, some, they'll get unleavened bread. It's a little cracker. It's about like so, so big, you know, about not much bigger than an oyster cracker. And an oyster cracker actually is unleavened bread. Then they had to take this little tiny cup and it's got grape juice in it. We don't have the real stuff in that, just grape juice. And they nibble on the cracker and they take a little sip and they call it communion. We are communing with the Lord and we are remembering, this is what they instruct, we are remembering the death, burial, and resurrection. Because Yeshua, when he was eating the Passover, took a big piece of matzah, shared the same bread with all of the people, 
said a blessing over it, took the cup that was full, and he shared that, and he said, do these things in remembrance of me. Well, if you go back to the original instruction of the memorial, God said, do these things to remember how I saved you and redeemed the firstborn. Remember those things, how I passed over you from death to life. So here comes the Messiah. He's doing exactly those same things, but he's also saying, I'm the real Lamb of God. I'm the one that really is providing the redemption for you, and I'm going to do it through my body and my life. He's not talking about something that's new and different for Passover. He's actually talking about things that making Passover even better understood. And so the Christians, they want to follow the commandment, do this in remembrance of me. They use a little piece of cracker and they use a little bit of juice and they call it, they don't even call it a feast anymore. The Bible refers to this, the feast of redemption, the feast of deliverance. A feast, you know, a full meal feast. And they don't have that. What's more, when they do to do this, some churches will do this as a part of their worship service on Sunday every week. Some of them will do it once a month. Some of them will spread it out a little bit further. Some will just do it at special occasions. Do they do it on the 14th of Nisan? No. No. No, they don't. They've substituted a whole new holiday for that one. I'm sure you're familiar with Easter. They replaced the commandments of the Lord with the traditions of men. And every time you eat one of those little crackers and sip one of those things, and that has been set up to be at odds with Passover, do you think the Lord really honors that I'll let you answer that question. Do you think he thinks you're obeying his commandment? That you're really remembering when he was sitting there with the disciples eating the Passover, telling them, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you do Passover from here on out, remember my death, burial, and resurrection. Every time you do the Passover. So instead of skipping the Passover and doing a little subset thing, you think the Lord views you as joining with him in that table to actually commune with him. Furthermore, if you do the Passover correctly, then you'll know about that weekly Sabbath. And of course, this is difficult for Christians because they don't really pay attention to the weekly Sabbath, do they? They have Sunday service. And their explanation, of course, is that we want to have a day that we come to worship the Lord that represents the resurrection. And Yeshua was resurrected on the first day of the week. Amen and amen, he was. So they say, let's use that. That's far better than what we've got over here. Did God tell us that we were to celebrate the resurrection? Yes, he did. He gave us a holiday specifically to recognize the resurrection. What holiday is that? The Feast of First Fruits. The first day after the weekly Sabbath, after the Passover. Yeshua came, kept the Passover, died on it, was buried three days and three nights, and on the first day after the weekly Sabbath, he was raised. And in the temple, 
when they would observe first fruits, they would take some of those green barley sheaves, those brand new barley sheaves, and they were commanded that they were not to eat any of the new grain of the field until that had been presented to the Lord first. That they were to eat of the old grain, not the new grain, until that ceremony was done. And they would take these barley sheaves in the temple, and the priests, they would wave them before the Lord. They would, oh God. You know what they would say to God? Thank you, God, for the resurrection of life. Thank you that you took these seeds that were dead, they were buried into the earth, and now you have brought them out of the earth in newness of life and multiplied. That's the day that Yeshua came out of the grave while the priests were saying, thank you for the resurrection of life. So, yes, we should observe the resurrection. It should come on the day following the weekly Sabbath after the Passover. And the whole concept of the Christian community saying, well, we want to observe the resurrection every week. That's not what God commanded. God said, I have an appointed time with you. I have this date for the Passover. I have these dates for the Feast of Unleavened. And by the way, this is the date for the Feast of First Fruits. You do this annually with me, you have completed the commandment. He didn't say you have to do it every month. He didn't say you have to do it every week. He just said, at this time of the year, that's when you do that. And it sets the stage for all of the feasts of the Lord that teach us the different things of the faith. And we see the fulfillment of them and how it speaks to the Messiah, and it affirms our faith in the Messiah for it. You know, I spoke kind of briefly about, you know, my Jewish brethren not getting the date right for the Passover eating it on the 15th instead of on the 14th, the way the commandment is. And I know my Christian brethren, looking at my Jewish brethren, say, you know, they, they don't get it right. They, they don't know who the Messiah is correctly, and they, they are right. My Jewish brethren have tremendous evidence to prove that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah, and they refuse to accept it and refuse to believe it. And the reason is because Yeshua, when he came, he didn't fulfill some of their expectations. He didn't take charge of the world at that point. He didn't make Israel the biggest nation in the world, blah, blah, blah. He didn't defeat all their enemies and so forth. And he didn't bring the scattered exiles all back, you know, at the same time and establish his kingdom. See, I said before, God's plan says we do redemption and then we do salvation. There is a day coming when it will be like the crossing of the Red Sea and everybody gets saved out of this world. That comes as a result of judgments, the great tribulation, and we'll make it to the kingdom. But the redemption, the work that the Messiah has done is the redemption for us. And oh, by the way, according to the faith, as the Messiah says, every believer in the Messiah is called a firstborn before God. And in fact, you are adopted into the faith. You, you weren't native born, you are adopted. And in the law of the Torah, if you are adopted by the Father, you receive the inheritance of the firstborn. And you can never be disinherited. You are in solid. So when the Yeshua came and talked about redemption, 
He was talking about taking you, even though you're not native born, we will adopt you into the house of God. We will choose you into the house of God and you'll be treated as though you're the firstborn. And we also say, my goodness, we go through water baptism and, and now we recognize not only that, not only to redeem us, he saved us. My Jewish brethren did not see the difference between redemption and salvation at the end of the ages. And so they discounted Yeshua coming and doing the work of redemption. Now, praise God, my Christian brethren, they see what Yeshua did and they believe in what Yeshua did but they completely don't get it as to why it was done that way and what they now are supposed to do. These commandments were given to people who believe in the God of Israel. To everybody, native-born, aliens, sojourners, people that are adopted, everybody who believes in the God of Israel. And for some reason, the Christian world has gotten the idea that the Messiah showed up has decided to do different things than what his father said with the nation of Israel, and that he's really not the God of Israel. He's not the king of Israel. The Messiah has become the head of the church. They've decided the church is a different entity from Israel. And they actually believe that Yeshua came to set that up and replace everything that God had been doing before despite Yeshua saying that he and the Father are one and he came to do the will of the Father. That's what Yeshua said. Despite the fact that Yeshua did not set up First Baptist of Galilee when he fed all those people up there. In fact, he ran all of them off because they were just there for the food. And he was trying to explain to him that he was the bread. He was the cup. You need to pursue me to eat of me. You remember when he was up there and when they said they'd come to chase the bread? They were trying, where's that, all that bread at he made? And he told them that they were trying to eat that bread. What they should be doing is eating the bread that they'll never be hungry again. And they said, well, give us that bread. And he said, I am that bread. Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you will not be part of the kingdom. Well, oh my gosh, they not understanding what he was saying. That's not like he's going to break kosher. We don't eat people. We don't drink blood. You know, that's the law has clearly told us. And so guess what happened to those 5,000 souls that came up there and all the other religious leaders? The religious leaders went away you know, saying he's teaching air, and all the other people said, well, if there's no more bread, I'm out of here. He didn't set up a church. He could have set up a huge church in Galilee, put the disciples in charge of it, if that's what he really came to do. No, he did not come to do that. He came to be the king of Israel. He came to do the redemptive work and the salvation of Israel. He came so that Israel would be a light to the nations, that it would fulfill what was promised to Abraham, that in Abraham's seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That seed is referring to the Messiah, 
who would come and do the work of redemption, the real work of redemption, not the historical one, not the memorial one, the real work of redemption for all souls, even into the future. These are basic fundamentals of our faith. And one of the things that distinguishes we as messianic believers from our previous background of being members of church. I, in my own background, was a good Baptist. In fact, I was recognized as a clergy, you know, with the Baptists. I helped build Baptist churches. I understood the faith. But there came a point in my life where I got my nose in the book far enough that I stopped listening to what everybody was telling me, and I started reading and listening to what the Lord said. And I finally asked the question, why aren't we doing what the Lord said? I went back, and I discovered all of this, quote, replacement theology. The church fathers have come up with a whole new scheme about how to explain what God's great plan on the earth is and how it all works, and I'm going... That's the same mistake the Pharisees did. The Pharisees wanted to replace what Moses said. They want to do their own thing. Yeshua specifically took issue with them. You prefer the traditions of men to the commandments of God, he said. You prefer the precepts of men to the commandments of God. If Yeshua was standing here today, he would walk into any evangelical church and he would make the same speech. And I'm telling you, the people in the church would be shocked to find out that the Messiah is not pleased. Now, I really am interested in what God thinks about me a whole lot more than I am in a whole bunch of other Christians. And by the way, what I'm saying here, if you're a Christian and you're angry with me, fine. I'm not here giving my opinion. I'm here repeating what the Lord has said. Your problem is not with me. Your problem is with the Lord and what he said. Now, if you want to be honest about it and say, well, I don't do what the Lord says. I do what I want to do. Well, then fine. I, you know, I, I don't have any skin here to peel off of you. You go ahead and do whatever you think is right. But don't come back here and say, hey, the Lord was wrong saying this. And by the way, don't come back and attack somebody that's trying to obey the Lord and say, oh, you're, you're, you're a heretic and you're trying to be saved by keeping commandments. Nonsense baloney argument. So let me take in our last few minutes, let me introduce to you some of the ways we try to observe the Passover today. Today we follow actually a pattern that was set by the Messiah when he sat down and had Passover with his disciples. If I was going to go and do a research project and find the oldest and the best written authoritative information about how you actually do a Passover Seder, how you actually eat the Passover memorial that we eat today. And I went on a research. Do you think that I could find that material in Jewish sources? The answer is yes. You will find it in Jewish sources. Let me tell you where you find it. You won't be finding it in the Talmud. You won't find it in the Mishnah. You won't find it in any rabbinical writings of the ancient Pharisees. You will find it in the pages of the New Testament. That is the oldest written by Jews authoritative description of how a memorial Passover is eaten. 
the New Testament is even older than Jewish sources that Judaism uses. So let me, understanding that, let's talk about some of the elements of what Yeshua basically did. There's a set of cups, and there is a Seder platter. Seder means order. I have here, this is a ceremonial Passover platter, and it is a decorative one. And usually in most homes where you have a a Passover, you're going to have basically one of these or something like it. And it has little partitions inside the plate that has the elements that we do in the order. They include things like there will be a shank bone of a lamb called the zroa. It will be sitting here. There will be some herosis. This is some apple mixture with honey that's made to look like straw or like mortar of a brick to remind about the people of Israel having to make bricks without straw. There will be matzah. It'll be a piece of bread like this. This is matzah. There will be a cup, a ceremonial cup, and this is a decorative cup uh, that they will use specifically to recognize the cups. One of the first things that they do in a traditional observed Passover is they separate this meal from all of the meals. We had the first cup is actually called the cup of sanctification. We sanctify this Passover meal completely different from all other meals. And that is how we make that meal special. It becomes a memorial. We're obeying the commandment to do the appointed times with the Lord. Now, in the next program with you, we're going to go into some detail about all of these, all of the different elements and so forth. But let me, in just the last few minutes here, if you're already developing an interest in maybe you observing the Passover in the future, Lion and Lamb Ministries has put this together. This is a published Haggadah. This actually leads your family through all the elements of the Passover. There are 15 elements of the Passover. This explains the whole order, gives you the blessings and so forth, and shows you how to do it. Here is a DVD that we put together where we actually had a full Passover Seder set up We explain all the elements, show you by video each of the elements, and then you actually get to observe the whole Passover being done. Following the Haggadah, you get to see and participate in what it looks like. And then there is music and blessings that go with it. And there's a CD that shows you all the music. You can sing along as you join in because part of the festival is worship. And so there's music and traditional songs that are done with it. This whole package, you know, you can get from Lion Lamb Ministries. It says $30 on here. I think that's the correct price. If you want to keep the Passover, get one of these. It'll teach you all about it. It'll teach you how to do it in your own home. Invite your family and your brethren to come in and be a part of it. It'll walk you all through it. In the next programs, I'm going to go into some of the detail that you would learn from that. And I'll show you a bunch of other things about how we observe the Passover. This is only the opening stage for our program on the Feast of the Spring Feast. We're covering Passover. Wait till we get to the Feast of Unleavened Bread and wait till we get to First Fruits. I have a lot more information for you on those. So let me say Shabbat Shalom to all of you this morning. And, you know, start getting your heart ready to observe the Spring Feast. Shalom, everyone.